Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sustainable Finance Podcast, where you can learn everything you need to know about sustainable and ESG investing from leaders in the field. My name is Paul Ellis, and I'm your host for these programs about developments in this fast-growing industry. Here's some disturbing data from the Harvard Business Review for investors who believe that entrepreneurial talent is evenly distributed by gender, but opportunity is not. Startups with female-only founders receive less than 3% of global venture capital funding. And female founders and employees own only 11% of total startup equity versus 89% ownership by male founders and employees. Vicki Lay is my guest today on today's program and she is mission-driven to change these percentages in her role as partner and head of Impact Investments, including the Female Leaders Venture Capital Fund at Artesian Alternative Investments. Hello, Vicki, and welcome back to the Sustainable Finance Podcast. It's good to be back. <laughs> Glad you could join me today. Vicki was my guest for Sustainable Finance Podcast Episode 88 in July of 2020. And I'm glad you can join us again to discuss the $100 million Female Leaders Venture Capital Fund that invests in high-growth, female-led startups overlooked by other VC firms and underrepresented in Artesian's existing portfolios. So why are VC investors still treating female founders and women-led startups like stepchildren when it comes to funding and equity ownership, Vicki? Well, Paul, that's a pretty hard statement. I, I know quite a few <laughs> experts actually. Uh, but, but to your question, I'll start on the funding side first. Sure. And then I'll talk about the equity side. So venture capital overall has actually been surging in recent years, but the numbers have not kept pace and they haven't been leaping forward for female founders at quite the same level. And you talked about those numbers in your introduction, Paul, and the statistics are actually really quite alarming. So what we are seeing is that female-only founded companies are receiving less than 3% of global VC funding. And if you juxtapose that to the more than 85% that male-only founders are receiving, Paul, you start to quantify the size and the scope of the systemic inequalities that are existing for female-founded startups and for women within the financial system more broadly. Mm. I mean, even the average deal size of female-founded startups is less than half of that of a male-founded company. And so, you know, going to your question, why is this happening? There's a whole list of reasons. But I think if you were to summarize it, female-led startups suffer from underinvestment, not due to lack of talent, but from a lack of opportunities caused by cognitive biases and pattern recognition that's in an industry where, unfortunately, 97% of VCs, the people who are writing the checks, are male. Okay. And VCs aren't just homogenous in terms of gender. They're also very similar to each other in terms of race, education background, and even work experience. Mm. And this demographic uniformity, this results from the common human tendency that we all have as individuals to associate and bond with similar others. I guess for any psychologist in the room, it's, it's you know known as um, uh, hermophily. And so what that is, is that it means that 
this is not only perpetuated to exclusion of women in the past, but it continues to hamper the entire VC industry and its ability to diversify in the future. So if you add that to the fact that most VC firms have low turnover, so they hire very infrequently, Mm -hmm. um, lack of role models, you know, not a lot of female partners, not a lot of female um, decision makers in terms of investment side. And then you have also this really strong perception that there is not enough qualified women to fill the VC pipeline which is ridiculous in itself because, as you know, um, in terms of the numbers, women make up more than 40% of the student body in the top 10 US business schools. We have, you know, 36% of them are entering as investment bankers, 45% entering as uh, management consultants. And there's actually even um, a higher majority of women with post-secondary graduate degrees. So in terms of you know, the stats are actually uh, very counted to the general perception of not enough women investors. Now, you know, that's it's interesting, Vicky, because it's that's right in line with the the philosophy about board membership, corporate board membership. Right. There's been a, a, a real struggle for women to break through that glass ceiling uh, in corporate America. And I know that um, women are are more successful doing that today. But it it's there's still numbers coming out of the industry that make me shake my head about this. For example, in in 2018, a Boston a BCG study found that women-founded startups generated 78 cents for every dollar of funding versus 31 cents that male-founded startups generated. That's a huge opportunity gap. And so, for example, for your Artesian Female Leaders VC fund, what kind of opportunities does that create for women founders? Yeah, no, definitely. I I think the performance gap is something that is well documented. Um, It's actually documented on the fund fund manager side as well through studies from BlackRock and Goldman Sachs. But, you know, I think I have to sort of answer this question by talking about our perspective as an alternative asset manager. And from our perspective, you know, we see these, you know, we're always looking for market failures for that result from mispriced or undervalued assets. Mm. And This endemic gender inequality has resulted in an asymmetrical um, capital distribution. So, and it's effectively a relative value pricing opportunity. So for us, the Female Leaders Fund, we're looking to hopefully address the market failure and target strong returns by providing financial and strategic support from our unique perspectives in constructing portfolios and then exploring this untapped business opportunity in the underinvested talent of female founders across Australia, New Zealand, and the broader Asia-Pacific region. So in constructing this fund, we recognised the chance to invest in an opportunity that was just hiding in plain sight. You know, female-led startups raising the Series A and Series B funding, you know, as we know, receiving lower valuations, being overlooked by the market. And we really relished our role here as a first mover, as an ecosystem builder. And we we really do fundamentally believe that you do not have to sacrifice risk-adjusted returns for transformational change. And that's what we're hoping to do with this fund is offer that unique opportunity for investors to gain a broad exposure to a range of female-led, high-growth, high-growth potential investment opportunities across the Asia-Pac region. So I think that's sort of like summarizing the opportunity and how we see it and, and really coming in from a you know finance first, you know, maths, not magic perspective, and then quantifying that and then you know making sure that the impact was embedded in that strategy. 
Yes. Now, your firm filed or created its inaugural impact report for the years 2020 and 2021. And in that report, you shared how Artesian tackles sustainability issues, gender equality, diversity and inclusion, and how you go about moving capital for purpose. So tell us about the collaborative, innovative partnerships that are discussed in the report and how you chose the partners that Artesian is funding. And, and if you could just uh, focus uh, initially on this idea of moving capital for purpose. That's a, that's a concept that I probably a lot of our listeners have not considered or heard about yet. Sure. So I guess the idea of trying to move capital for purpose, the key word we like to use is scale. It's using our role as an institutional investor, bringing our capabilities um, from the fund management perspective and partnering with, you know, in collaboration with other organizations, be that corporates, government, accelerators and incubators in the innovation space, angel groups, universities, you know, huge institutional investors who are looking to have a similar like-minded approach to use their capital stewardship in a way that can support the delivery or the, you know, manifestation of the SDGs or the sustainable development goals. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we talked about this a lot offline, Paul. Yes. Um, the- this misconception around needing to sacrifice one or the other or choosing between impact and and returns and we we really don't believe that's the case we think that it's it's more of a rather than a two-dimensional you know risk return we actually add that impact as a third dimension within the matrix and we think that actually allows to create better opportunity better economic returns and so when selecting partners we like to have you know balanced views and a like-minded values in terms of how we build. So I think the tenets of that is that, you know, that core philosophy I was talking about by hitting, you know, those three different areas and maximizing the the product in that way. So um, for example, with the Female Leaders Fund, we actually partnered with Australia's first and only um, angel investor group called Uh Scale Investors. And so what they're really good at is they're good at the community engagement stuff, the mentorship, the education for female founders um, and investors across Australia and, you know, hopefully in future across Asia Pac more broadly. But we really loved working with them because they complemented our ability as a fund manager. And I think in any good partnership, everybody brings something to the table and you've got to know, you know, what it is that you bring. And that's what we sort of thought in terms of pulling this entire, I guess, consortium together of, you know, scale artesian and then our true anchor investors included true um, super funds, post plus and legal super. Both organizations are very dedicated to trying to solve for the global economic gaps in terms of investors, the investor gap, the retirement gap. And so trying to build like-minded people together, strategic partners, and then actually us facilitating that into a product. Um, that's sort of what the uh, the nature of the partnerships look like across our across our product suite. Mm-hmm. So now, specific to the Asia Pacific region, this female your female leadership fund. Why did you make that decision? I you know this is wasn't really a, a question that I prepared to ask you, but uh, I'm intrigued by the fact that as a venture capital firm, you're finding opportunities to invest in women-led companies and, and women's, you know, uh, women-founded companies when a lot of people believe that in 
different parts of Asia, it's very difficult to find companies, uh, period, that have uh, the kind of growth trajectory that we want in impact while they're providing impact in the communities where they function. So I guess what I'm, what I'm wondering is, is there a specific reason why you're focusing on female entrepreneurs in Asia, in different parts of Asia? So deep diving into the founder equity side, I think it's more of a personal response on my end in that I personally was a female founder and I remember my first startup, I took whatever equity was given to me. So a great TED talk um, about this actually is from the founder of uh, Girls Who Code. Her name's uh, Reshma uh, Swani. Hmm. And she talked about this idea of how we're raising girls to be perfect instead of being brave. And so I think this whole idea of, you know, this concept around negotiation and asking and thinking that we deserve more, that's actually something that is quite broad, you know, broad-based with, you know, with all women and actually all diverse leaders who maybe like myself may have not thought that they were worth more or that their work wasn't as valuable because, you know, maybe they're not sitting in those technical roles and maybe they're not uh, sitting in those seats that often get more equity, you know, than the decision makers. So I think there's probably two things that we can change there. One is, you know, raise our girls differently. And then the other side of it is, is making sure that we get more girls into STEM, into tech roles and into things that, you know, stretch the intellectual curiosity a bit more. Asia is, it's a, you know, it's definitely a growing innovation startup, fertile ground for us. So the growth in that region has already been happening for many years. We've, we've been there for quite a while and we've actually got offices in Singapore, Jakarta and uh, Shanghai as well. Hmm. Um, and I think what's interesting about that part of the world is that you, if you actually look at the number of founders or the, the ratios between female and um, male founders, as well as women in tech, it's actually much higher in, in that part of the world than in, in some other places that you might not have actually traditionally thought so. So I think, you know, one of the reasons was that the demographics within our, in the tech and the finance sector and the startup sector was very attractive. Okay. If you look at the potential for impact, we are very bullish on Asia, very bullish on the ability to affect change at scale in that part of the world, just because of the tension of our global markets in those regions. If you look at things like climate, if you look at things like financial access, democratization, a lot of stuff is happening over there. And so I could easily take this whole podcast and dive into the tech trends and some of the things we're excited about from the vertical perspective. But just from the general, I guess, the horizontal across why we're interested in that part of the world is um, we really are bullish on the potential of the talent and, you know, the numbers that we saw in that we were actually the first Series A, Series B female focused fund to exist in this part of the world. And if you look at um, North America, Europe, you know, there's already existing three, four, five funds that have really demonstrated track record and very high exit, you know, unicorn status types of track records to, you know, really show that we can really pick that up, that model and translate it to a market where we have specific expertise. Great. Now, could you define a unicorn for us? I, I, I know that we have uh, <laughs> listeners who know what that is, uh, but I'm sure we have some that don't. And also, we'd like to include that your impact report, your inaugural impact report as an attachment to this program in the um, the Sustainable Finance uh, podcast channel. So if, uh, if you can provide us with that, that would be great. But anyway, back to unicorns. 
Yes, it's over over a billion dollars in valuation or you know exit. Um, however, I, I personally do think that that number is sort of increasing. Um, but you know, generally, it's a billion dollars. Okay, good. Now, what can you share with our audience, Vicky, about how Artesian achieves impact without compromising on financial returns for their investors? Yeah, so I think Artesian sees our impact philosophy in a, you know, I guess from a, if I look at it from an ESG or responsible venture capital perspective, is we view it in terms of, you know, one, making sure that we are creating products that are, that have embedded, you know, ESG diligence. So making sure we're thinking about environmental social governance within our entire investment decision making process. It's, it's completely integrated because we do believe that um, by doing so we are better able and you know able to steward but also to assess risk and you know create materiality assessments and risk map back to uh you know things that will attribute to return or the uh the uh, ability of a startup or, or an organization to do well. Um, the second area is through engagement. So we are a very active in the way we engage. We think it's uh, our role is very important. Once we own a equity within a startup, and once we play a role in terms of you know sitting on their boards or acting as an advisor or you know helping the management team navigate um, their own ESG risks and I guess their footprint in terms of impact. So that's very, very important about you know how we do that. And we do it both in a very, I guess like direct way with the companies themselves in a very bespoke nature, but also broadly with the ecosystem. I mentioned earlier that we see ourselves as ecosystem builders. We we definitely believe that's the that is the best way to actually um, invest is by building from the bottom up and having um, those networks at all those stages of the of the investment pipeline. Um, so making sure we're actually creating content and educating uh, the market, investors, founders, ecosystem partners, stakeholders, um, more broadly about the importance of designing with impact or designing with ESG integrated into your product suite. And then sort of the last area that we're sort of looking at is everything around reporting, disclosure, um, compliance. The premise for creating a good business is actually making an impact. You know, your whole business is impacting all parts of your, your supply chain. All of your customers, all of your stakeholders um, need to be considered in design. And, and we are big advocates for disclosure. So we always go back to sort of the female leaders fund because of the topic of this conversation. But we've actually designed as part of this fund a gender diversity assessment score or GDAS, right? And so what that does is we're looking at during the sourcing of the um, deal pipeline, we establish a, uh, a scorecard in which all startups who apply to not just this fund, but all of our teachers' funds, and we have over 600 portfolio companies, have to actually fill out this gender diversity scorecard, which looks at things like their percentage of founder. We look at founder equity. We look at who's on the cap table. We look at all the different things that we'd like to see in a, um, you know, a gender equal or a gender diverse, you know, startup. And we actually create this transparency in the industry because our hope is that we can have more data to benchmark, you know, as a whole in that region. And so we can have more reporting and more ways to actually measure success and measure impact. And then hopefully the industry as a whole can, can move forward. Okay. 
Well, Vicki, we're just about out of time today, and I know we can come back to this subject uh, again in the future, as we have uh, looked at it in the past with Artesian. And uh, I'm really glad to hear that the female fund, the female leaders fund, has been launched, and very excited to learn more about how it's doing in the future. Now, where can our Sustainable Finance Podcast listeners learn more about your work as head of the impact group at Artesian Alternative Investments? And how can they contact you for more information about the topics that we've discussed in today's program? Yeah, definitely. So just go to www.artesianinvest.com. All of our products are there under the impact tab, which includes a female leaders fund. And you can reach out to me at Vicky, V-I-C-K-Y at artesianinvest.com for any questions you may have about the product. Terrific. Well, thanks again, Vicky Lay, partner and head of impact investments at Artesian Alternative Investments. And to our listeners, please join us again next week for another episode. I'm Paul Ellis, your host for the Sustainable Finance Podcast. Thank you.